All right, every, everyone, welcome to the Carolinas Weather Group. Sorry about the delay. We've having uh, some technical issues with our guests, so uh, Gary Stevenson and Daniel Phillips. Uh, it's supposed to be our guest tonight, and they're having some computer issues, so hopefully we can get those worked out uh, here in the next little bit so uh, we can get into our show tonight. Hopefully by the time we talk about all that's going on right now in the weather world, uh, we'll be able to get those guys on. But welcome to the Carolina Weather Group, the uh, Wednesday, August 24th edition, uh, just a little bit past 8 o'clock. And uh, tonight we're going to be talking about the tropics and especially the inland effects of tropical uh, systems. Uh, we know the coastal effects, but we're going to talk about a little bit tonight about the inland effects uh, of those systems. And, and it seems like uh, right on key here, the tropics have really... Uh, got active since we last talked last Wednesday, and we'll talk about that here in just a little bit uh, before we get into our show. But uh, let's go over some of the housekeeping stuff. Uh, this is a live broadcast, so if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to uh, reach out to us via several different ways. You can uh, reach us out on our Facebook page, uh, Carolina Weather Group, or you can tweet us at Carolina WX Group, and uh, we'll monitor those throughout the night. And uh, if you have any uh, Questions for our guests or any comments, uh, we'll be f uh, make sure to put those on air before we uh, log off tonight. Uh, and if you are listening to the uh, live broadcast or the rebroadcast uh, via our um, YouTube page or via the uh, the the magic what, of podcasting podcast. That's the that's the You're name welcome, I'm Scotty. looking for. Too many too many things going on, but podcast. Uh, we'll make sure to give our guest uh, social media outlets so you can reach those. So. As I blabber on, I'm going to pass it off to uh, one of the busiest men in our panel tonight. He has been just rock, rock solid on this tropical stuff. I'm surprised there's no smoke coming out from the background there in Charleston, South Carolina. Shay, I know you've been an active uh, guy here the past couple of uh, days talking about all this uh, stuff going on in the tropics. Before we do that, how's the weather in Charleston and how are you? Weather has gotten much better here in Charleston in the last couple of days. I mean, wow. Talk about uh, a, a sigh of relief from the heat. I mean, we finally got the break that we needed as our air has dried out. Our dew points were down into the 60s today. So, I mean, we had 72 degrees for temperature last night. That's our lowest temperature since June 27th. Uh, you know, we're coming out of the hottest month ever, of, ever, which was July, and the hottest July ever. For Charleston and then even the first two weeks of August just relentless heat and now we're finally catching a break from a little bit of a northeast to east northeast wedge uh, along the coastline so we're doing we're doing pretty good man we're hanging in there we're still gonna keep some heat around for a couple days we have a ridge built over us right now but I think we're gonna get that a little bit of a cooler shot as that high to uh, the high over the southeast region lifts to the north and we get another little cool breeze over the weekend so we're we're doing much better now that we can uh, actually breathe in the air yeah, definitely. It's uh, been a lot uh, less humidity in the air here in the uh, Carolinas, and I think we're all appreciative of that. But like you said, it seems like the heat's starting to build back, at least for the weekend. So uh, let's toss it over to uh, the second busiest guy. He had NASCAR all this weekend in the Bristol, Tennessee area. And, Ricky, I was up there along with you, and uh, I think we had more thunderstorms and lightning strikes than we had accidents on the track, right? <laughs> <laughs> At least on Saturday, yeah. Saturday, I think we got 17 minutes of full racing. Went to Bristol, it was about 40 or so laps, uh, or 38 laps, I think, before we actually had to call it off for the night on Saturday and uh, come back Sunday. So it's been a stressful slash busy slash uh, fun 
kind of time period up here in the Bristol area with the race and the rain and storms and luckily no severe weather. They're just uh, showers mainly in some stratiform rain on Sunday as a cold front pushed through, but still caused enough problems to uh, push us back to Sunday. I didn't even go to the race sky on Sunday until after the rain moves through. I live close enough. I was just like, I'm just going to come out once it looks better on Sunday. Yeah, it was definitely wet. Um, Saturday night, I guess it was the last rain shower, and I know yeah. you were there too. So, you know, the guys are back on the track. NASCAR's got the track looking great. And you hear on the spotters, they're talking to their NASCAR guys, it should be raining right now. And yeah. uh, maybe 30 seconds till mid. It was just an absolute downpour. That was the yeah. hardest it rained all evening, I believe. I was in the media center, and I, I told PJ, who's one of our anchors, I was like, all right. Well, I guess I'll go outside for a few minutes, and I check radar scope again, and I was like, actually, uh, I think I'll just hang out right here. And then uh, all the media people started coming back inside like, dang it, it's raining again, and they were so pissed. But, yeah, much better weather up there though this week so far, right? A couple thunderstorms the late week, and uh, not too bad. We've been in the upper 80s, lower 90s, so we can deal with that after we hit 98 earlier this year, so it could always be hotter. Definitely. Well, let's go up to Charlottesville, Virginia with uh, David Reese. He's going to show us how to tie a, a necktie, and then he's going to tell us about what's going on up there in the uh, Charlottesville area. Well, you see. Uh, what's going on, guys? It's already tied. I just take it ah. off. It, I, that way it looks like I still wore it all night, even though I took it off yeah. to have dinner with a wife. Yeah, yeah David, can you, know. can you really tie a windsor or what? Uh, no, I, I only tie half winter. I, I I don't learn the other stuff. I'm like, whatever. This is good. it's good enough. It gets through on TV. Anyway, uh, beautiful this weekend. Oh my, or not this weekend. Weekend was actually kind of hot, but it was beautiful the past couple of days. Temperatures here in the low to mid 80s. No humidity. I was actually able to go for a run around 11:30 noon yesterday and not die. Uh, today we uh, had a little bit more humidity. Uh, you'll certainly notice it around here as we go over the next several days as that ridge of high pressure kind of builds overhead, low to mid-90s in the forecast tomorrow and Friday. What day is this? Friday. And then, um, yeah, over the weekend we'll just watch for a few mountain showers and thunderstorms, and then next week weak cold front tries, tries to get in here. I uh, don't think it'll do so, but I think it will give yep. us – few more showers and storms here and there overall. Uh, not too bad. It was definitely beautiful the past couple of days, so I hope everybody in Central Virginia was able to soak it up. Definitely, and let's uh, toss it down to Charlotte, North Carolina, where James is uh, manning the, the Queen City tonight. James, how's everything going in your area? City is calm. City is good. City is comfortable. We actually dropped below 70 degrees the other night. Our lowest low temperature in... Oh, don't quote me on this. At least 30 days. It's, it's, been, it's been a while. 32, I think. 32 days? I think. There you, there you have it. Uh, the uh, the bulk of the weather news coming out of uh, portions of Indiana today, Indianapolis area. Uh, taking a look at some images from WTHR, the NBC affiliate in Indianapolis. This was uh, one of the very first live pictures that came out this afternoon after, uh, is it safe to call it a tornado? Because I'm pretty sure all evidence points to a tornado. Uh, came through some of the communities there. and You could see it leveled the Starbucks, but then once they got their helicopter up in the air, you could really see the, the damage from the sky, and you can see exactly how all of this debris... Is uh, is centered here, so I mean, it, it, it's more than likely. And although they haven't officially confirmed it, I I would say it's safe to presume they had some pretty 
severe tornado damage uh, come through come through that area today. And interesting enough, it does look like the SPC has finally moved that slight risk a little bit further north. So uh, I know that was something a lot of us were keeping an eye on today and just kind of wanted to get those images in there. And Ricky is telling me, and this is my own fault for being disconnected for the for the past little bit, that Ricky, they confirmed it as a EF3. Yeah, I saw that tweet come across Twitter a little bit earlier. My uh, my former co-worker, or former co-anchor, actually, she her family owns Kokomo Speedway. Uh, we were having a tribute to Brian Clawson tonight, and uh, they had to clear the grandstands and everything as that storm started rolling through, but it was confirmed as an EF3 with 165-mile-per-hour winds per uh, RTV6 in Indianapolis. So, Wow, I was going to say, those homes look very well structured, and they are just flattened. So yeah, that had to be so uh, the main thing being destroyed the Starbucks there. Well, I know there are a couple more worn cells out there tonight. The line's going to kind of uh, encroach on that Ohio area. I'm watching WTHR right now and a little uh, political news for you, but it looks like Governor Pence is back home in, in Indiana to, to deal with this. So, Can you guys see my page right quick? Uh, we can now, and I'll pin it up so everybody can see as we talk over it. Scotty, what are we taking a look at? Yeah, so this is the SPC storm report, and I've had this up since 7 o'clock getting ready for the show and it started off with 31 confirmed tornadoes. Now we have 38 confirmed tornadoes. And so uh, I would say, safe to say, we could classify this as an outbreak. And to me, it's uh, very, um, I don't want to say concerning, but very odd that we have an outbreak here in late August. I mean, you know, August is not normally a, a severe weather tornado month, but just goes to show you that if the conditions are right, um, over the uh, over a certain place, it really doesn't matter what uh, what month it is. We can have these uh, tornado outbreaks, and uh, like you said, James, it seems uh, a lot of damage in the Indiana or in the Indiana and Ohio area. Uh, I've been watching the Weather Channel coverage. Uh, like you said, several of the uh, news stations up there. Uh, a lot of damage from a lot of these uh, these tornadoes, and I can't remember which meteorologist shared it, but it was actually a video. Uh, you're talking about the Starbucks. Uh, if you, I'm sure if you YouTube it or Google it, uh, there's actually some guy that's got inside of a restaurant was actually filming the tornadoes that came through and and wiped out the Starbucks. So uh, very uh, very dangerous day up in the Indiana and, and Ohio areas. So uh, definitely our thoughts and prayers with those guys. Scotty, correct me if I'm wrong, and it could have just been my own ignorance as I was doing other things for the past 12, 24 hours, but. Was was there? I don't want to say it came without warning because I don't <laughs> even want to encroach on that area. But what we saw today was that expected, or did I just miss it? No, I don't think it was expected. Um, I was looking through some of the outlooks, and uh, I believe it was parts of Missouri, uh, Illinois, and Missouri that was under a two percent chance of uh, tornadoes, but there was no. Uh, really outline of tornadoes for that part of the area. I know they were under a marginal threat, but uh, I don't think the main emphasis was on tornadoes. I think it was more of a, a damage and wind event. So The risk zone went from 0 to 5% from the noon update to the uh, 4 p.m. update. So, so, so um, I, it did, I don't think it came without warning. I know the guys up there, the stations had it covered, but... I don't think the folks waking up this morning would have thought that uh, parts of their area would have been uh, devastated by these uh, strong tornadoes. And it very well could just be that I was too focused on the tropics. 
Yeah, I think that's our attention uh, here in the South is, is definitely with the tropics. And I want to bring in our guests here in just a second, but I do want to give it over to can – I, can I coin you our, our tropical expert, Shay? I mean, that, that is kind of your thing. Uh, talk to us a little bit about what's going on uh, in the tropics, especially uh, with – I know you've had a, a big st media storm, a social meteorologist – First talking about how Charleston looked to be ground zero. Now that's kind of shifted away, but kind of talk to us about what's going on with Gaston and Invest 99L and Fiona and whoever else you want to talk about. <laughs> All right, yeah. Um, uh, tropical expert, probably not so much, but I can I can give it a whirl here. I did make a video earlier to share around. Uh, if I could grab the screen. And James, am I, am I good to go here? You're good to go, Shay. All right, so uh, we have a couple of systems. Gaston... Uh, really ramped up yesterday, and we thought maybe it would become a hurricane by last night, but it's it's really, it's just sort of, sort of maintaining strength. It's a strong tropical storm at 70 miles an hour. It did drop from pressure this morning, 999 millibars down to 990, uh, but it just hasn't achieved enough strength yet to achieve Category 1 hurricane status. It is expected to drift to the west and eventually west-northwest uh, to north uh, in time, and Bermuda probably needs to look out for the system. Uh, just from afar, nothing to be alarmed about right now. It could make the turn earlier and not have any effects other than some swell along the eastern side of the island. Uh, but right now, the main focus is on Invest 99, and that's been sort of a hot potato all week because, first of all, it's still a tropical wave. It may even be it's, it's a strong tropical wave, but uh, a lot of local newspapers and uh, media outlets have been uh, sort of doom and glooming the system for days now, uh, bringing it into the Florida coast, bringing it into the Louisiana coast, uh, is a Category 5 Katrina-style uh, hurricane. Uh, and then also the southeast region, there's been a lot of articles out there. So we've just been sort of trying to stay modest and, and point out some of the facts of the system and, and keep things really even keel and, and state the facts and what the National Hurricane Center is doing for guidance because they really are the authority on it all. And right now, the system is still just an invest at 50% chance next 48 hours, 80% uh, chance next five days. That actually dropped from 60 to 50 uh, from the 2 p.m. or the 5 p.m. update, uh, it actually dropped in the immediate future because it's just not that well organized. The hurricane hunters went into the system uh, today and they found multiple centers of low pressure. They couldn't find a central area of low pressure that they could actually designate as a tropical depression. There were tropical storm force winds along the north northeastern side and eastern side of the system, more of a uh, sort of an area of uh, tighter gradients pinching along this area of the system. But really, there's been no real core to it. There was uh, a couple of uh, board maps that spun off. This is the area that's actually now being watched by the National Hurricane Center. The X moved from here over to this spot just north of Puerto Rico. So we do think that the core of it has cleared Puerto Rico so far. There was some interest in it going over the islands and, and sort of limiting its potential. But if this is going to end up being sort of the center that they watch drifting off to the west-northwest, then it may have some more room to develop. The other board maps ended up over Hispaniola and it's kind of blowing up in some convection. But... You can see how disorganized the system is overall. The um, water vapor imagery, there's a trough digging into it, upper trough, uh, down from the northeast. So this, this is tearing off the tops of the clouds here. There is one thing that is going for the system in that aloft is an anti-cyclone. So there is some outflow going on. There's some exhaust for the system, but it's so disorganized. There is not a well-defined center of low pressure that the National Hurricane Center can deem as a tropical depression. So we're just going to have to wait this one out a couple days. And uh, model guidance, really kind of shifty. The Euro model wants to bring it across here into the Gulf and then curve it back up. Uh, the GFS doesn't even develop it at this point. 
Uh, it really just keeps it as a weak tropical wave heading through the Bahamas, and now the North American model is jumping on something developing in this area right here and getting a little bit of a bump to the north from remnants of Fiona, believe it or not, driving down to this area. Um, there's just, just so many things going on right now, Scotty. It's really, it's really kind of a crapshoot. You know, you look at the tracks and you just say, okay, general guidance here is west-northwest, and we're just going to continue to monitor for development, and that's really where you got to leave it because it's not even a, it's not even a tropical depression yet. Yeah, it's it's kind of amazing, you know. That, I loved what you just said. You know, it's not even tropical depression yet. Uh, it, it's so amazing. I guess maybe because we haven't had a lot to deal with in the tropics in the past couple of years that uh, we can latch on to, or not we, but some people can latch on to it and kind of um, boost it up a little bit more than, than it's needed at the moment. So definitely something to watch uh, over the area. I do know as it does get into the, the Gulf area, kind of is a little bit more favorable environment for it, so uh, definitely will have to be watched. And uh, eventually it could make its way somewhere uh, if it does survive the trip uh, into the southeast somewhere. And that's kind of where we'll bring uh, on our guests tonight as we talk about tropical systems and the inland effects. I want to bring on um, Daniel Phillips. He's a meteorologist out of KATC in Lafayette, Louisiana. And, and Daniel, uh, first time on our show, so welcome uh, to the show I kind of tell us a little bit about yourself and um, what brought you to uh, Louisiana. Thanks. Well, I'm very happy to be here. We uh, we're still drying out down here after after last week, but uh, got into weather when I was a little kid. Loved it. I uh, used to sit and watch. We'd look out over the beach and watch uh, the lightning come in. I think one day I just kind of announced I'm going to be a weatherman. Everyone laughed for a little while, but. Uh, here I am. I came down here it's where the job took me. It's down along the Gulf Coast, which is more or less home, like five hours from home now. So uh, it's been it's been a good fit so far down here. Very good. And, and how and we'll talk a little bit about this in just a little bit. But how did did your specific area favor or make it through the, the massive rains of, of Louisiana over the past uh, week or so? Uh, it's it's kind of been hit or miss. The part of the city where I live in stayed mostly dry, but we've got a river, uh, a big river that runs through town, and ton of houses on there. They all got water in. Our actually our chief meteorologist, he's out tonight. He's dealing with uh, water that got in his home. You get into some of the towns outside uh, Lafayette, and they they got it a lot worse than we did. It's been just a, a mess. I think is the best way to describe it. Yeah, definitely our, our thoughts and prayers with all of you guys. And I know as we kind of look in the next few days and, and what could become of Invest 99L, uh, I know you guys are a little bit worried about that because if it does head your way, you, you can't really take any more rain. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been the talk of the newsroom today so far. I think I've sat in all kinds of meetings and watched, uh, what I said, the 0C Euro that had it very similar to Rita and then the 12Z Euro on the other side of the Gulf. So we've just watched it go back and forth. And, of course, half the viewing audience, they all latch on to one. They all say, oh, what's coming here? Look what we saw this morning. Then the other half says, no one knows what you're talking about. And so uh, we're just kind of sifting through all of it and being as honest as we can. I basically just spent the past couple of shows saying, well, we don't know. Yeah, well, we'll definitely uh, keep you guys in our thoughts, and hopefully it'll steer away from, from your area. Uh, let's bring on our good buddy who's not been on in a while, Gary Stevenson from uh, Still Time Warner Cable. Gary, are we, have we switched to Charter yet? Or 
We're, we're technically owned by Charter, but we haven't changed the name yet. That's probably okay. going to come first of the year. So. Okay. So looking, still forward, looking forward to redoing all those graphics in the first of the year. <laughs> yeah. So Gary Stevenson with us from the Tom Warner Cable Channel in Raleigh, North Carolina, chief meteorologist there. Gary, how have you been? It's, it's been a while since we've seen you. I'll tell you what, man. Uh, we didn't really have much of a severe weather season, but Lord knows, central and eastern North Carolina, we have had severe weather over the last couple of months. It's like you know, every time you turn around, we were having some uh, strong thunderstorms from like late June through July. Uh, thankfully, things have calmed down, but just as soon as our severe weather has backed off, it looks like the tropics uh, going into overdrive now. I almost dread looking at the long-range models because every time I do, about 10 days out, I see a new system forming, and I'm like, oh, no, i got to go keep checking model after model to see if it still shows up. Yeah, tis, tis the season from now until, I guess, um, mid-October. We could say. <laughs> and guys, I learned when you can't log on to uh, Google Hangout, if uh, Fox doesn't work, go to Explorer, and if that doesn't work, go to Chromecast. Chromecast got me on with you guys tonight. Uh, we're glad that we got the technical issues worked out. I think you and Daniel both were having some some problems. I think it's all worked out now, so that's good. Yeah, I think ours is a lot. Our equipment works half the time, the other time it doesn't, so I'll be putting in a note with the engineers, I think, when I get off of here today. <laughs> <laughs> oh. All right, guys. Well, let, let's talk about that. Let, let's talk about uh, tropical systems first. And uh, Gary, I'll, I'll toss this first to you because being here in the Carolinas, uh, we've had our fair share of tropical systems on the coast, but also our fair share here uh, in the inland parts. I know you were in Asheville for a while and there in Raleigh. Uh, the inland parts of North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia are just as vulnerable as uh, some of our coastal friends. Is that is that a true statement? Oh, absolutely. You know, we're coming up on the, uh, what, in two weeks, we're coming up on the 20th anniversary of uh, Hurricane Fran. Uh, and Fran basically made its way inland, and after it bashed the coast, uh, we had winds 75, 80 miles per hour up across central North Carolina. We've got a lot of pine trees here. There were people without power for weeks, I mean, at least two weeks a lot of people were without power. Um, not as much flooding with Fran in North Carolina. I think it was more flooding up in Virginia. But then three years later, of course, we dealt with uh, Floyd, uh, and that caused a, a lot of massive flooding. But I, I think we, we've kind of educated the public to, to let them know that, hey, when a, when, a, when a hurricane is coming toward your state, it's not necessarily the coast that's going to take the beating because uh, there, there's a whole lot of... Um, uh, things that that are uh, inland tropical system, and it could be a weak tropical system. It could be a tropical storm, uh, and and it brings a lot to the party. It can bring flooding. It can bring isolated tornadoes. Uh, it can bring wind damage, and and you know there's there's just a whole lot of things going on when a when a system works farther inland, and um, you know it it it, it brings a whole lot of danger. Uh, to the path that it is on, and, and North Carolina is synonymous for having storms that come up across the coast, come up through the coastal plain, or come out of the Gulf of Mexico and work their way up at the Appalachian Mountains. Some of the worst uh, storms that have ever hit western North Carolina, actually the worst storms that have hit the western part of the state, have actually come up out of the Gulf. Um, and we'll talk about uh, Ivan and, and Francis because those were probably the, the most recent back-to-back -back storms that were more devastating to that part of the state. Yeah, uh, we can talk about that now. I remember I was still in high school then, and we were out, it seemed like a week or so, just because 
Our one of our high schools had been flooded. Several bridges were and roads were just completely shut down or washed away. So uh, Francis and Ivan created a lot of flooding here in the Western North Carolina area. And, and you know that's what's really and and I didn't really understand until I got into business. That's part of the climatolo climatology. Uh, easy for me to say uh, for North Carolina and a lot of locations that if you get back-to-back -back tropical systems moving over the same area within a two-week span of time there's a strong possibility that you're going to end up with a bad flooding situation. Now you can also have that with a system that kind of just stalls over one, it takes one system over one area. But if you've got two systems that are moving and they move over the same locations, uh, for instance, Eastern North Carolina, we had um, Dennis and we had Floyd in 99. And then Scotty, was it 04 or 05 that we had Francis and Ivan? It was 04. 04. 04. So we had back-to-back -back systems then. And I tell you what, if you want to get some massive flooding from tropical systems, you bring them into western North Carolina. Because with that orographic lift going on, there's a ton of rain that's going to be running out of those systems. And um, I'll be honest with you guys, I'm glad I lived in the eastern part of the state when that one occurred. Because looking back at some of the things that happened in western North Carolina when uh, Francis and Ivan made impact, wow, that was, that was pretty impressive flooding. Or Tennessee, too, Scotty. I mean, we've had many instances in our region, too, where we've got a lot of tropical moisture, especially along some of our mountain chains. Um, Gulf Coast lows are the primary threat when it comes to our heavy rainfall events up here in, in portions of the uh, southwest Virginia and northeast Tennessee regions. Yeah, and, and Ricky, you and I were joking in our little chat that we do off, off the show. All of us kind of have a, an open chat that we talk about all the time, and well, we shared an image of one of the fantasy images from what could be Invest 99L, and it, it showed a, a landfall and tropical system coming up the, the mountains, uh, the Appalachians. And, and we know here in the western part of the state where Ricky's at in eastern Tennessee, you know, they're just devastating flooding. I mean, we do potentially sometimes get some tornadoes, but flooding a main thing, and I should have looked this up before the show, uh, but I believe, Gary, between Francis and Ivan, I think uh, one storm produced anywhere between 8 to 10 inches of rain, and the next storm was 6 to 8 inches. So then a, a two, two-and-a-half-week time span, you know, where you're looking close to 20 inches of rain for some areas, and, and, and that'll really do a lot of damage. And here in the mountains, you know, you, in, in the foothills, the, with the way that the lay of the land, you know, that, that could do a lot of damage to the roadways and stuff like that. Oh, I've also got Hugo pulled up here on screen, if you can see it, too. That was another one that came from our coast. Uh, that I remember, 1989, that uh, went all the way up through North Carolina and up up along the Appalachians too. So okay, that one, uh, that one definitely to remember. Yeah, and and Hugo uh, and Daniel, I want to get to you next, but but Gary, you could talk about this. Hugo not only presented a rain threat, but it was a lot of wind associated with Hugo as well, even way far inland. Oh, oh yeah, I mean, I mean, when you're talking about going into um, Charlotte. I mean, Charlotte picked up a lot of wind damage from that storm. Believe it or not, in Asheville, we only picked up two inches of rain at the Asheville airport from Hugo um, because it made that uh, that right turn and moved up I-77. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, and I flew down to Charleston a few months later and to see the number of trees that were laid over by that storm. Uh, I mean, Hugo was a very powerful storm. Uh, Hugo was actually the first storm that I forecast after I got into the broadcast business. Um, which, uh, I mean, for, for the size it was and for the strength it was, it was amazing the amount of damage that it made from when it made uh, landfall to all the way up through uh, West Virginia. 
uh, and again, not not as much of a flooding threat, but certainly a, a lot of damage from from the winds from the system. And Daniel, I want to I want to bring you guys in because with you being in Louisiana, you're more at or even some places in Louisiana below sea level. So when you see inland tropical systems come, obviously you have storm surge uh, and, and the winds, but even inland, uh, you guys see a lot of rain. And in fact, maybe kind of talk about last week. You know, it was really not a named storm, but had a lot of tropical characteristics uh, to that. Yeah, and I, I think if it would have just spent maybe about a day. Uh, in the Gulf of Mexico, or wasn't so close to land. It probably would have been a named storm, you know, pretty quick. And the the problem we have here is that everyone's so used to the tropical systems and tropical storms, but everyone focuses in on that name. And until you know it's tropical storm, this or that, or hurricane, whatever, then no one ever is, is ever really paying attention. But I remember leading up to that event, the PWs were just out of this world high. And we had been saying, you know, all week it, I would come into work and I look at the radar. We wouldn't see anything. I wouldn't understand. I was almost blown away the fact we couldn't even get scattered showers out of it. And so those PWs grew and grew and grew. And then we knew there was that little drifting low. And as soon as it hit that atmosphere, I mean, it just started raining. And it got to the point that it, it just felt like it was never going to stop. Honestly. By the time, I think, Sunday early morning was the first time it, it sort of eased up. But um, we, have a, we have a big problem with drainage around here. And some of the places where a lot of the water from Lafayette would typically drain out, they've now built up subdivisions over the past 20, 30 years or so. And so then that just that adds to the problem. And there's rivers and bayous running everywhere. And once those mainstreams start to get backed up, then it's everything else that feeds into it. Now they're getting backed up, and that, that's what we've seen over the past week. But uh, I, I think if it would have spent sort of half a day offshore somewhere, we would have got a name out of it. Daniel, are your rivers and streams still flowing above capacity now? Uh, they're pretty close. Most of them are above flood stage still, uh, at that sort of right underneath major major flood stage now down to about moderate. So it started to ease up, and now it's slowly going down. We keep getting winds out of the south that's not helping drain out. We really need a strong wind from the north to help. So the water's not coming up anymore, which is good, but it's now it's just taking forever for it all to go away. Uh, that, that's kind of where I'm going with this question. So let's say we get a tropical system moving up towards your area. I mean, you guys could have potentially some bigger backwater issues than you typically do in a setup like this where a storm would come in, push the surge up, would it push the surge further inland in this case? Yeah, we have a, the the surge would be would be horrible. We already have a problem with our main river that runs through town is the Vermilion. Once it gets to a certain level, it, it stops going south and reverses direction and then will flow off to the north. And then that pushes even more water further inland, so then when you start adding surge on top of that, it's... If Invest 99 turns out to be anything and moves over towards here, it, it has potential to be really bad. I think everyone's really holding their breath, uh, waiting to see what this thing does. So, so from a forecasting standpoint, I mean, are you guys talking about some of the potential impacts of this system if it were to come towards your area? Are you talking about how your water tables are still high, or, or is that something that is kind of, you know in the back of your mind right now, but not really in the forefront of your forecast? It's in the it's in the back of our mind right now. I think everyone is still kind of reeling after last week. And so if you start 
going on about adding a ton more water and we're not entirely sure that it's coming over here, then that it, we don't want to like alarm anyone, but I think you know once we get a better picture and if it looks like it's going to come here, it's something we'll certainly have to address is all those um, the, those rivers. They're still incredibly high. And Daniel's facing a lot of uh, the, the problem that we always have when we have situations like this. You know, you're not exactly sure it's going to happen, but you want to kind of teeter on the edge of, of warning the people that it could happen because, I mean, it's a fine line right there, and I, I don't envy your situation whatsoever because you're right. If it gets in there, it's catastrophic. But then again, if you start telling people about it, then how much panic are you going to cause and when it doesn't happen? You know, it, it's, it, it is a very fine line that we have to walk, uh, walk as meteorologists. Right, and people here are already very, people here are already very sensitive to weather. It doesn't take many keywords before the phone calls start and the emails start. And, uh, I mean, even today, I think before I even sat down at my desk, I'd been asked five or six questions about uh, the potential for next week. So uh, we've, we've really been trying to make sure that everyone's on the same message, that all our that we're, we're saying, you know, look out, but not causing a panic at the same time. It's a, it's a balancing act, especially with how sensitive it is around here now. Well, and if this group remembers, and I know Shay's going to remember this, last year with Joaquin, you know, we had that steady flow of tropical moisture up into the Carolinas, especially South Carolina, and then the GFS had Joaquin coming up in here, and we were talking about, oh, my God, if this happens, it is going to be absolutely you know, mind-boggling. Mind -boggling. It was going to be bad. Yeah, yeah. well, if you remember, even, even the WPC had that swath going all the way up the coast. I mean, it looked like it looked like that trough was going to set up north to south, and it actually leaned, it tilted uh, northwest to southeast, so that... That put us right in the gun of that fire hose, and man, I tell you, I'll never forget it. We're going to have our anniversary show coming up next month on that, actually, or October 5th, I think, is what we have. So, and By uh, the way, Shay, I'm glad to see you haven't evacuated Charleston yet. Are you, are you packed and ready to go? Man, I've been to the store <laughs> three times and taken it all back for refunds, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Daniel, one thing I, I'm curious, and it kind of goes along with our topic, is uh, when we have a remnants of a tropical system, sometimes it already is downgraded to tropical depression, whatever. How did you guys convey the message last week? Because the storm, like you, you talked about earlier, didn't have a name. But it, it, and in us, we all know to take things serious. But to the general public, um, I think we could all say if it doesn't have a name, it may not get all the attention that it deserves. So how did you guys relay the message that even though this – this rain event doesn't have a name. It still needs to be taken serious. Well, it was, I mean, it was It was tough. And like I said, you know, if it doesn't have a name, a lot of times people will just tune it out. Uh, but we said starting even Wednesday, you know, when it started to shape up and we were saying, you know, every, everyone pay attention. We're looking at a lot of rainfall. Uh, some of the numbers we're seeing. We've been looking at the, the RPM, which is WSI's model. And that flip-flops so much with, with rain totals that I think by the time we got to Thursday, Thursday time frame, you know, it was like, well, it stayed very high for a long time. We, there were all kinds of discussions and posts, and our station pushes social media a lot, as I'm sure uh, many do. So there are lots of posts about pay attention to this. We, we try to get the message out as best we could, but we, then we were still faced with... Uh, you know, how could this happen? This wasn't even a named storm. It wasn't supposed to be this way. And we were battling the fact that the, it looked like it was going to be mostly Big Bend, 
uh, panhandle of Florida area and then had slowly drifted west. So then, you know, people will watch one day and they'll see that and then they'll focus in on, oh, well, you know, you said it was going to Florida, not necessarily to us. And um, so we, we did our best and I think there was a little bit of miscommunication and then it's, you know, it's tough when you pull the trigger on a historic event like that. You better be certain when you go to air and say, you know, we're looking at something unprecedented. Uh, so, you know, we, we tried and then I... I I'm sure some people believed us, but there are, there are plenty who say that they had no clue it was happening. Daniel, I know after some big storms like Sandy and uh, Irene, the Weather Service kind of looked at the way they convey potential storm surge and tried to make those products easier for people to understand. Is that something that in your community people really are knowledgeable about and connect to, or is there still kind of a knowledge gap there? I think for the most part they are just because we're so low and, you know, southern parts of the state, it's all just, it's marsh out there and they've been around it. Certainly the old timers will have a better idea about storm surge and understand the capability of it uh, as opposed to some of the people who are new here. But now you're getting the problem, at New Orleans particularly, uh, and even Lafayette somewhat, is we've had a lot of people move in and ha haven't had a storm at all, so we're we do a big hurricane special. We try every year to harp on storm surge and to explain what it is and to explain why it's important, and then just hope that you know that that message gets heard and not lost in all the noise. As as TV meteorologists in in your market, are you guys equipped with your graphics system to kind of ingest some of that data and, and show it visually? Yeah, they so WSI came out with. Uh, that, that, that slosh model, I think is what it is, and it came out with, with a graphic to show, you know, where they think the greatest storm surge is going to be, but we haven't had a storm to really test it out, and I know we've tried on some of the smaller ones to see if we could get it to work, but we've, we've struggled with that, uh, and we haven't really had much to try it with, but we think a lot about it, and we've had many discussions here about, you know, when the time comes to exactly how we're going to get that message across. And talking, go ahead, Ricky. I was going to say, after an event like this, and I don't want to get too far off topic, but it's, uh, it's near in our term, or in our heads. What's something that you wish you would have had, um, Daniel? Is there a product in your weather graphics system you wish you would have had? I really wish uh, that we had the, the WPC QPF outlooks in there. We, we have our... Um, we have our in-house model that we use, but like I said, a lot of time that, that will flip back and forth. One run, you know, we'll have a big eight-inch spike, and then the next run will be down about a half inch. So I, the, I wish we had the QPFs in there, because now we, we have to go in and draw it by hand, and that can get, it can be a bit of a pain, especially when things are changing that fast. So for something like that, I think leading up to the storm would have been great to have been able to ingest, and those, the mezzo discussions as well. I think would be a really good tool that we could put in, like I said, especially leading up to a big event, and not even just with a flooding event, but you know, the mezzo discussions that come out before severe weather events too, I think it could be really beneficial. Did you guys draw your own rainfall maps, or, or was it you mainly used model-driven data? We, we may mostly used a lot of the automated stuff, and then uh, we would pull the QPF online, um, and then we would put our in-house stuff up, and what we usually do is we'll pull it up and we'll say, you know, this is one model look, and I think it's a little hot here, a little hot there, and then we'll 
we'll look at some of the runs that seem more appropriate. Like if the 15Z really seems to be missing the mark, then we'll use the one that came before and, and we'll leave that one up. Uh, so we, we explain most of it in front unless the model seems to be doing a really good job. Gary and Scotty, if you had a question, go ahead and, and jump in here. No, no, go ahead. Okay, uh, Gary, from your previous experience with tropical systems that come up towards North Carolina or come up towards our region, how is the rainfall model? Is it usually underestimated, overestimated? Does it vary per storm? I, I think it varies. I think it varies. Um, I, I was going to point out that um, one of the things that made Floyd as bad as it was was the models, and I know this was 99 compared to today, but um, the models were maxing out at about 10 inches of rain. Um, and following uh, another system, Dennis, there, there was already extreme concern, but we ended up having a widespread 15 to 20 inch rainfall from that system. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll always remember something Dr. Brotak always said at uh, UNC Asheville in forecasting and synoptic, models have a difficult time predicting record rainfall, or excuse me, record events, because there's not that much statistical data for it to touch on. Uh, and, and that is one of the trickiest things right there. Even if you've got a system that you think is going to keep moving, it's moving at a certain speed, it's going to pass over your area. There's so much variability in what areas can get so much rain, max rain, you know, it, 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 um, it, it's... It's very tricky and when, when you're discussing flooding um, uh, due to that. Uh, it's just like with western North Carolina. You know for a fact that orographic lift with all that tropical moisture is going to give you a ton of rain over much of the area. I think when you start getting into the flatlands of the coastal plain and the Piedmont, it's a little bit uh, more difficult because you're not going to have that effect. Um, but, but again, like with uh, uh, Floyd, um, for the most part, the models underestimated the, the rainfall um, by by almost double uh, in, in in some situations. And I'm kind of like uh, Daniel. We're in the same boat here. We're kind of interested in how that WSI slosh model is going to look, but we haven't had a system in two years to really affect us here where we can uh, take a look at it and, and see how well it's going to do. But um, um, it, it's funny. You, you want a system so you can look at these things, but then you don't want a system because you don't want to have to deal with them. And all the you know, the bad news brings to the party. There is, I think, there's some test data in there, but you know, test data versus real data, you uh, <laughs> yeah, can't always model that completely. David, how about you? I mean, you, you're up in an area of Virginia where you guys get a lot of the heavy rainfall events. And, and how many years have you been uh, at your station now? I've I've only been up here a year and a half, so I haven't experienced too many uh, widespread flooding events. We did have one in Nelson County at the beginning of. Uh, June when we had about 15 inches of rain in a three-day span and that caused significant flooding down there but um, it's it's definitely something that is very much in people's minds because Hurricane Camille around here is very you say that word and a lot of the locals know what you're talking about when you talk about Hurricane Camille and here like when I was on my interview the chief was just like yeah Hurricane Camille I'm like wait, didn't that, like, devastate the Gulf Coast in 1969? Like, what is he talking about? And then he was like, yeah, that's where, like, the 24-hour record rainfall happened was in Nelson County from Hurricane Camille. They basically saw a foot of rain in a couple of hours, and it caused widespread devastating flooding, all because a hurricane 
Hurricane Camille ran into a stationary front. You have the Blue Ridge Mountains literally 20 miles to the west of the city of Charlottesville, and that provides the orographic lift. You have a stationary front, which squeezes out all that moisture. You have all that tropical moisture, and that's what created uh, all that rain where we saw widespread rains from Hurricane Camille of anywhere from 15 to 25 inches rain in just 24 hours, and that caused devastating flooding. We've also had flooding from, uh, like, uh, Gaston back in 2004 in uh, the Richmond area. So Richmond is very susceptible to the flooding as well as well as Isabel in um, 2004. So I mean it's it's definitely one thing that we have to relay and that's actually one thing I was going to uh, ask Gary about is just like alright say you have 99L and it's coming up towards us like would you use a lot of prior experiences like from what you had with Floyd and things like that to try to be like hey this is going to be as bad or worse than Floyd and at the same time it's just like how do you connect that with the newer population that Daniel brought up because a lot of people are moving and Florida has changed significantly in the past almost 11 years since a hurricane has hit there so how would you like try to relate from past experiences that you have to hey, try to get the urgency of the message across to maybe, say, the newer population in the area. Well, and, and, and that is part of the problem, and Daniel touched on that. You're right, is, is when you have that population change because people are going to relate a weather event to something similar. Um, we found that out over the years with so many types of events. Um, I know if 99L ended up in here, uh, I guess what we would do is we would grab the, the closest storm that we had to it. Floyd would not be a good example because um, uh, if we had back-to-back -back systems, of course, yeah. uh, you know, if all of a sudden this thing was a Cat 3, then of course we would be you know, referring to it like Fran. Um, um, if it was like um, a cat two, strong cat two, then we would talk about Isabel or something like that. But you know that that is an excellent thing to think about is is comparing it to a storm that you hope at least a good amount of the population uh, in the area has has dealt with. But that is God, that is one of the biggest dangers that we face because look at all the populations that are changing, people moving around, and and I mean in eastern North Carolina when when Floyd flooded uh, the area in '99. People didn't know that they were in a floodplain. I, I don't think the government really knew they were in a floodplain until half of eastern North Carolina flooded at that point. But um, I've, I've seen the Weather Service try to relate uh, systems to previous historical systems to try to get people uh, on the same page uh, as to what to expect. And, and I, I think that's an excellent idea of, of exactly how to do it. Um, the problem is, is when you run into people who've never had to deal with a hurricane. Or a tropical system, and that they think, oh, it's a hurricane. Well, it's just going to affect the coast, and they don't realize all the, you know, catastrophic problems that it could uh, bring to um, uh, farther inland. Uh, just to throw something out: when we had the 50th anniversary of Hurricane um, uh, Hazel a few years back, uh, I interviewed Jeff Oric at the National Weather Service in Raleigh, and he said that they had done a study and they estimated that in downtown Raleigh three huge oak trees, and when I'm talking about huge oak trees, these things are hundreds of years old. They are feet in diameter. There would be three trees down per block. Um, people would spend weeks cutting themselves out of their neighborhoods. We have never seen anything like that before. Even hazel wasn't that bad back in 53 when it came through. So that's probably one of the most dangerous things is if we end up with something like a Category 4 or Category 5 hurricane coming in North Carolina. There is no reference 
You know, yeah. all we get on is kind of like Daniel says, it's going to be bad. <laughs> and, and trust us on this one. <laughs> So I have a question. Um, if if y'all would like to talk a little bit about really oh wait a minute, you haven't evacuated yet. Just <laughs> checking. The second we go to an empty chair in Charleston, I'm out too. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I wanted to ask. Um, talk a little bit about how well river swelling products do for you. What type of models do you use? Are they effective in in what you do? I guess we'll start with Daniel since you guys just got flooded down there in Louisiana. How how well? Were, were those products, how well did they work for you in conveying the message that these rivers are going to be swelling to certain heights and flooding out over roads and everything? Did, does those usually work out, or do you find them not very helpful? I think they give a good base idea. I know we certainly used, uh, we used ones that the National Weather Service have up with all the USGS gauges. Uh, some, they change quickly. So... Multiple times a day we'd have to go in and update our latest numbers because the crests are constantly changing. And I think a lot of the times you'll see it will overdo the crest a little bit. Um, but at, at that stage, you know, you're just going for, for whatever it's telling you because you don't want to underneath at that point. But, it, but I wouldn't... Uh, I mean, I wouldn't marry myself to those numbers, but it does. It gave us a very good reference to be, and it certainly is, is really good at saying, you know, it's still going up. It looks like it's going to go up a lot more, and then from there we would lead the discussion to this is going to put further strain on, on these streams and these bayous and these uh, tributaries. Um, so they work. I think they're really sensitive to, to stuff that happens in the future. I know one day it was predicting another round of heavy rain, you could see a big jump in all the in all the crest data, but that rainfall never really materialized, and then almost the next run it would come down. So I think it gives a really good reference point, but I, I wouldn't marry myself to any of those numbers. And, and if I can comment say on something real quick, too, I don't know exactly what the forecast, river forecast models are based off. I know the GFS model um, goes into a huge amount of the storm surge forecasting models. Um, from what the folks at the Weather Service and Wakefield have told me, basically whatever the GFS low track is, that really determines how high or low the storm surge forecast models may come into play. So I don't know if, the, if there's some impact of on the river forecast models or not as well. I don't know. I, I don't know. I probably should know more about it, honestly. Gary, let me ask you, beyond forecasting, when we go into now casting, when an event is happening, there are parts of North Carolina where we kind of have data gaps, especially when it comes to radar. How important to you are things like, you know, the river gauges and, and other kind of secondary and, and tertiary kind of stations that are out there beyond what might be the kind of the primary setup laid out by the National Weather Service? Well, certainly the river data, um, especially since Floyd in 99, I think that has actually improved across North Carolina because people realized how susceptible North Carolina is to flooding. Um, we had a recent event um, where we just had some thunderstorms that dropped seven, eight inches of rain uh, in Cary, which is just to the south and east of the city of Raleigh, or southwest of Raleigh. Um, and there was actually some flooding here at the TV station. Crabtree Creek uh, floods at nothing. Um, but those gauges actually gave the indication that the flooding was going to occur, uh, gave Raleigh PD uh, ample time to you know, shut everything down, shut the roads down where the flooding typically occurs in, in, in those situations. So I, I think what it really does is it gives people a heads up 
um, of where that that flooding is is going to take place, uh, and it gives emergency officials a really good heads up of where they need to start evacuating and where they need to start shutting down roadways. We still continue to run into the problem that people still drive into floodwaters. Uh, we had two or three cars near the Crabtree Valley Mall that got flooded out because people decided to drive in. But I think one of the greatest things that we have, especially now that we have the internet, is when we get reliable information from, from, from viewers and from weather spotters and from weather enthusiasts to let us know what's going on because when you don't have a gauge in that area or you don't have a weather station in that area and you get what you consider a, a good real-time report, um, I, I think that is absolutely priceless. And I think that's, that is the one thing. <laughs> social media has got a lot of problems when it comes to weather, but I think that is the one thing that social media has really helped us out on. And since social media has taken off, we really haven't had any kind of major um, tropical event uh, in North Carolina where we could actually see that in action. We have had some severe weather events like the uh, April 16, 2011 tornadoes, um, which we got good real-time data on that from people. Hey, I got a funnel here. Hey, I got a tornado here. Hey, I got damage here. Uh, and we're re relaying that to the Weather Service. So um, I, I think that is one of the greatest assets that, that, that social media has brought to the table. Of course, we all know it's brought a lot of bad to the table, but we'll save that for another time. <laughs> right, Shay? <laughs> <laughs> he's gone. Yeah, yeah, this, he's a figment of our imagination. Yeah, these last few days they've they've been a little bit a little bit trying, but you just got to say, okay, you know, let's. You know, ultimately, most people hopefully will steer into the right direction. They'll they'll turn to the ones that kind of have a better idea of what's going on. So, but I want to shift gears as we're getting very close to nine o'clock here, and I, I want to twist our. Uh, Conversation towards tornadoes. No pun. I like that pun. I like that pun. That was not intended at all, but okay, I'll take it. All right. Um, were any of you guys around, or do you remember a big outbreak? Uh, I know the the one that comes to my mind is Hurricane Ivan back in uh, 2004. We had tornadoes not only down and across the Gulf Coast. We also had tornadoes, a huge tornado outbreak, at least for Virginia standards, across Virginia and North Carolina back in 04. Well, I know any time I see a tropical system coming in, one of the things that I, I, I worry about for various reasons uh, is the tornado um, potential because tornadoes with the tropical system are so difficult to see with the Doppler radar. Um, one of the reasons why the Wilmington National Weather Service radar was one of the first in the country to go uh, dual pole was because they wanted to see how it would react uh, when when there was a tropical event. And sure enough, right after they had that uh, upgrade, there was a tropical event, and sure enough, it missed either one or missed two tornadoes. Um, so they did some fine-tuning after that, but because of, you know, just the entire nature of the way tropical tornadoes spin up. Um, I mean, they, they can drop so quickly, you know, the radar can overshoot them if they're not in the right place. They're just so difficult to see. I mean, I give the National Weather Service kudos because I'd be sweating bullets every time one came in, uh, a tropical system came in like that. But the other thing that I always watch out for, do we have a frontal boundary? Do we have some kind of boundary over the area that is going to interact with that tropical system? Because the majority of the tornadoes that I see uh, over central North Carolina when we have a tropical event, we've got a stalled front over central North Carolina, and that tropical system interacts 
and all the dynamics come together, and we end up having you know multiple tornadoes, um, and it's you know it's it, it's a very tricky situation. It's an interesting point, you know, because I, I think back to 2003 and some of the even earlier tornadoes we've, or hurricanes we've had. It's been a long time since we've actually had to watch tropical systems make landfall and then look for these little remnant circulations. I, when's the last hurricane that made landfall in the Gulf and kind of moved up towards the spine of the Appalachians and gave us that tornado threat, you know? Yeah, I mean, what? I mean, back... Certainly before 2010, I can't remember. They, they all merged together after a while. When you get you know, been in the business for 30 years, you're an old guy. But but you're right. It's 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 been a while since we've actually had anything like that occur. Yeah, I can't I can't think of any recently. It's it's been at least five or six years. I mean, we had a few with Arthur, but that was a landfalling hurricane. And interesting, the amount of lightning that was associated with those too, as they started to come ashore. We had one up in Hampton Roads uh, that. Didn't really show too great on radar, but uh, I guess we'll find out perhaps in the coming years. Our luck will run out eventually. So, yeah. Speaking of Ricky, one one other thing to bring up for our inland effects of these storms is with Arthur, we were able to catch on correlation coefficient uh, birds, pelagic birds that were trapped in the eye of Arthur that were forced inland several hundreds of miles. So people are finding these uh, definite. Gulfstream birds, uh, well inland in North Carolina. So that was that was a pretty interesting thing I remember out of that system. I've never heard that before, Shay. That's really yeah. interesting. I can confirm I did yeah. not see any birds in the eye, but I remember Nate Johnson sending me a text that night saying, uh, "Any birds hanging around out there?" <laughs> well, as as sci-fi channel as this sounds, actually, I was thinking about with Southern Florida right now with the Zika outbreak. What would end up happening if we had a tropical system come up through there, and you know, Zika mosquitoes? I know uh, it sounds like don't don't anybody write sci-fi channel and say we're going to have the Zika. black helicopters. <laughs> but, really, but really, think about that. I mean, if, if you took those moist, uh, those mosquitoes and got it into a, a tropical system and deposited them somewhere else. You know, I'm going to start scripting this right now, guys. Yeah, there you go. Okay. <laughs> but, 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 yeah, I, mean, I remember after Hugo that it was, I mean, when we came back to town the next day, it was, I mean, everything was quiet. I don't even remember seeing a bird. There was no bugs. There was nothing. I mean, <laughs> except the bugs that were in the ground torn up from trees, but there was no, there was no flying insects anywhere. They were gone for at least a couple of days. So I guess that's the question. Would it kill the mosquitoes in the hurricane, or would they survive, or, you know... And then after that, I mean, think about uh, all the water left over, especially with you, Daniel. I think of all the water that's left over in Louisiana right now and uh, the potential for lots of mosquitoes in the coming weeks and months. Oh, that's been the whole uh, – the Zika has been brought up multiple times since all this has happened. And, you know, we don't do great with mosquitoes on a good day, and now you just I, – there's standing water everywhere. It's a breeding ground for them, that's for sure. We need uh, – Scotty, we need Brad's skeeter meter down there in Louisiana to just be pegged out to the max. Exactly, yeah, pegged out to the to the max. Well, Daniel, what about you guys? Though, hurt, uh, hurt with the landfall and tropical systems. You get tornadoes, a lot of tornadoes, or I guess more worried about the flooding down there. Yeah, oh, well, I mean, we're depending on where we are in the storm, obviously, but we're kind of an all modes uh, thing because our where. Uh, I, yeah, I got north of I-10, and you and I, I watched uh, coverage from Rita, and there are just huge swaths 
of the area that were just put under a, a blanketing tornado warning. And they, you know, it's it's like Gary was saying, they spin up so quickly and then they just disappear. And that's kind of the nature of Louisiana tornadoes in general is most of the time they're very fast and very hard to catch. So a tropical system just, just makes that worse. Well, um... Uh... We have any more uh, questions? I know we're past nine o'clock, and I know you guys probably have some TV stuff to do. So, uh, panelists, anybody have any more questions to follow up before we we kind of sign off for the night? I have one last question for Daniel, and I hate I hate to even ask it because I don't even want to jinx it or put the thought in your head, but I'm sure it's there. If the storm comes your way, from a personal standpoint of you and your colleagues, you guys have already pulled really long hours in your newsroom and all, along with a lot of the people out in your community. What what does that coverage plan look like? How do you guys go about balancing that? Uh, I mean, well, I guess we'll just do it all again. We've, we've spent this week and the end of last week trying to get everyone caught up. Uh, so the chief had a few days off this week. He's gearing up in case he has to do long hours next week. I'll be in for... Uh, the morning guy at some stage, I'm sure. They're going to give me a few days off. So we're trying to get our rest when we can, but I know the reporters are, are stretched pretty thin, and they're trying to get people breaks where they can, but I, I think the the directive is if, if it comes, then we all just gear up, get the coffee ready, and then head back out and sleep in a few weeks. As James Fan likes to say, Sleep is for sissies, and you'll sleep when you're dead, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's <laughs> how it feels around here sometimes. Oh, and Gary, Gary, I have a oh, uh, Gary, I was going to ask you with, with your 30 years of experience uh, here in the Carolinas, what are some of the more memorable? I mean, I know we have uh, Hugo, uh, but what are some of the more memorable hurricanes uh, that pose a threat not only on the coast but on in the inland parts as well? Well, yeah, of course you had uh, Dennis and Floyd. You had uh, Fran, which hit from basically Wilmington all the way up through Raleigh and then caused flooding up into to Virginia. Um, the, the first one that I dealt with after moving to Raleigh was uh, in 2003, and that was um, Isabel. Uh, and, of course, it was a strong Category 2 hurricane, 110-mile-per-hour winds, because it blasted the Isabel Inland in the Outer Banks. Uh, and it also hit right before the centennial of flight, which made the folks in North Carolina really happy about that one. Um, but, you know, since that one, there really hasn't been, you know, that much of a devastating, oh, God, I'm going to jinx myself right here on this one. You know, it, 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 we have, it's, it's, been, it's been weaker systems. Uh, Cat 2, Cat 1, tropical storms. Um, and, the, and the thing is, that's, that's the thing right there that everybody needs to remember. It doesn't take a Category 5 hurricane to cause a lot of problems. Uh, we had tropical storm Alberto that came up here in 2005, dropped 8 inches of rain in Raleigh, and we had flood water, waters all the way up to our parking lot here at the TV station. Um, um, you know, it, it's, it's and, and I guess that's the, the one of the problems of classifying things as a, as a Category 5 or a depression or something like that is because, um, you know, a depression can cause just about as much, well, it can't cause as much damage, but it can cause a lot of problems when people say, oh, it's only a depression as opposed to it's a Category 5 hurricane. And I, I guess that's one thing as meteorologists that we all need to really, you know, stress when we've got a, a tropical system because they do bring a lot, like I said, to the party between flooding, winds, 
tornadoes. Um, you know, it's 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 and it's all about public education. <laughs> Excuse me, Jerry. I'm going to need to go knock on your door that we see behind you and find a piece of wood and just uh, start slamming it, please, as hard as you can. And why would I do that? After saying the, that we're going to have a large, or that we hopefully won't have a destructive hurricane. Well, hey, hey, I'll lock on some wood right now. How's there, that? You know. there we go. We're good. Because right. I tell you what, guys, I, I could go the rest of my career without having to deal with something like like a Category 3 like Fran was. I mean, I saw the damage that Fran did in Central North Carolina, and it was only producing Category 1 hurricane winds when it got to Central North Carolina. But this state, um, and I'm sure in Louisiana you see the same thing, Daniel. You've got pine trees, you've got softwood trees, and it doesn't take a lot of wind to start snapping these things. And when a lot of trees start coming down, if, especially if you've got saturated grounds, you know, it, it, it makes a mess in a hurry. So, yeah, yeah, we, we don't want any hurricanes. Maybe a little weak tropical storm, give us some rain every once in a while when we need it, but nothing, nothing too bad. And, and one thing, Gary, I know not only do you cover the Raleigh area, but also the Wilmington area. Uh, and, Daniel, I want to throw this, this to you as well. Um, the lack of a major hurricane hitting the coast. Uh, we've talked about this before, especially with Shay living in Charleston, but... I just don't feel like, my personal opinion, and I think Shay would probably agree with me and everybody else, uh, I don't know if the coastal folks are, are as prepared because like we've been talking about, all these new people moving into these areas not really experience stuff like this. So uh, as we approach an active part of the tropic seasons, we don't know what's going on uh, with the invest out there, and we don't know what's to come in the next few weeks. What is your message to your folks there who live in the Wilmington area and even the Raleigh area and even in Lafayette? What is your message to these folks about, hey, we really need to, to ramp up our, our eyes and attention on the tropics because eventually, unfortunately, we'll probably have an, a major system hit somewhere on the East Coast. And uh, Louisiana and it seems like North Carolina are two of the, the most affected states tropics-wise anyway. So what would your message be to, to your followers or folks that, that listen to you? Well, we just say exactly that. I mean, we just harp on it over and over and over again that we've gotten really lucky over the past several years. Eventually, we won't get so lucky, and we need to make sure that, that we're prepared and we're taking each season seriously, and we do, you know, we do a big hurricane special at the beginning of every year. I think for the most part, people listen. At least they tell you out on the streets, you know, that they're prepared, but... I, I think the thing that really worries us is that younger generation who's moved in who haven't necessarily necessarily been through it. And then also, you know, there's also the people who are like, well, I survived this storm, so I'll be fine. Uh, and those are the, the two demographics, I think, that, that we really just try and, and get that message to hit home. Whether we have any success or not, I guess we'll find out. But I know that, you know, whenever we have something like Invest 99, regardless of where it's going, we're constantly saying, you know, it, at the very least, it's a good reminder that these things can and eventually will come and, and impact our area. Yeah, I mean, I, that's it. It's, it's, it's education. And there, there's a psyche with people that they're going to refer back to, if they've lived through a hurricane, they're going to refer back to the worst thing that they've been through. Uh, the problem is... Um, since 54, a Category 4 hurricane has never hit North Carolina. If Category 5 hits North Carolina, um, you know, we're going to start, we, we can't necessarily reference 
um, you know, Andrew, but we could certainly kind of, you know, tell people that, hey, remember what happened to Southern Florida when Andrew rolled through in 92, and, you know, maybe, just maybe, they'll they'll get that idea, but it, it is. The, the way the population changes these days, um, I mean, again, 20 years since a major hurricane hit North Carolina with Hurricane Fran, and there's been a lot of people who have moved into North Carolina at that point, especially on the coast who have never seen anything like that. They haven't seen a storm surge. Uh, and that's why I think it's so important for people to understand what these storms can do. And it, it comes down to broadcasters and meteorologists and the National Weather Service to educate people so people are storm ready. So they understand what kind of danger that, that's, that's going to uh, come in and, and affect the area if we get a, a bad hurricane that comes in. And uh, th they also also need to appreciate that if it's not quite as bad as, as forecast, they should be grateful that their house is still there when they, when they get back to it. But that's another problem that we run into too, and I've actually talked to some people on the coast, and one of the reasons why they don't evacuate is because they can't get back after the storm is over with to see if their home is still there and to see if their possessions are still there. And I, I don't know how you would ever get around that because to be honest with you, if I lived on the coast, I'd probably be about the same way as well. Um, but, but again, it, it's, all about, it's all about education and it's all about giving them good information and trying to keep people away from the bad information that is floating around because we all know that a lot of bad information starts floating around when the tropics start getting active or when a snowstorm is in the forecast or something like that. And it's just, just getting people to, to listen and uh, understand what's happening and understand that you know, when we tell them to move, when the National Weather Service tells them to move, when emergency managers tell them to move, they need to move. And David, you being in Florida, and I still believe have family there. What are what are their thoughts with with this system coming up, and and just in general, you know, it's been a while for Florida as well. Yeah, and uh, Gary was talking about uh, when the National Hurricane Center and National Weather Service and emergency managers tell people to move and move. That was one of the concerns in Florida, and especially the Tampa Bay area back in 2004, 2005, and so on and so forth because Hurricane Charlie. Hurricane Charlie was forecast to come up very close, hit Pinellas County, hit the mouth of the Tampa Bay area, and a lot of people from Pinellas and Hillsborough County along the bay and along the coast evacuated inland toward Orlando. Well, Hurricane Charlie decided to go in near Punta Gorda and then race north-northeast towards Orlando where they had 80, 90 mile per hour winds. Meanwhile, I was in Sarasota and we had 45, 50 mile per hour winds. In uh, Pinellas County, they had a similar weather. It wasn't nearly as strong. So people actually evacuated into some place that actually saw worse weather than if they would have stayed. But it's one of those messaging things. It's like, yeah, but there was still that chance and everything else. That's one of the messaging nightmares, especially for people who were in that scenario back in 2004. However, since 2005, not much has happened in the state of Florida. So that's definitely one thing that is going to be concerning. I've already kind of told my mom and dad, it's just like, hey, watch 99L because it's – one that could be bad. It could be a big rainmaker for you guys. So uh, we'll see. They got hurricane windows in over the summer, so I'm feeling more comfortable about their situation. But it's definitely something that is going to be tough for our fellow broadcasters in the state of Florida because it has been almost 11 years 
since we've had to talk about a hurricane making landfall after getting battered and bruised from 2003 to 2005. So that's definitely going to be one of the tougher messaging things, especially since the population of Florida has exploded in the past 11 and a half, or 10 and a half, 11 years. And advice to them is just like, listen to the local experts. A lot of the meteorologists down there have worked down there for a number of years and they know what's going on. So just listen to them and follow the uh, experts down in that neck of the woods. And Scotty, if nothing else, it's a shameless plug and a good time for folks to revisit our show from three months ago with Cheryl when we talked about being storm ready. Because whether it's for next week or, or for some other point, it's always yeah. a good time to, uh, to check those go bags. Definitely, yeah. We can uh, post that on our Facebook page and Twitter as well. So, all right, guys. Well, uh, I know it's a little bit past nine, so uh, Daniel and Gary, I'll let you guys uh, promote your social media outlets and uh, how our followers and, and listeners can get in touch with you. And uh, Daniel, I'll let you go first. Okay, yeah. Uh, you can get a, a hold of me. I'm on Twitter at Daniel KTC. Uh, I'm also on Facebook too, meteorologist Daniel Phillips. Uh, those are probably the best ways to do it. I prefer Twitter to Facebook, I think, as as most of us do. Um, but, yeah, th those are probably the, the two best ways to get a hold of me. All right, and Gary? Uh, Twitter, I'm at gstevenson underscore wx. You're smiling, Scotty, because I actually <laughs> remembered it this time. I know, I'm proud of you. I Really, I'll do it again, gstevenson <laughs> underscore wx. Uh, and uh, Chief Meteorologist Gary Stevenson on uh, Facebook. And I want again, uh, I want to thank Shay for not evacuating during the program tonight. <laughs> hey, wait a second, Paul, man, wait a second. Oh, he's, he's leaving now. <laughs> no, for those of you, for those of you who don't know, there was somebody who was blogging that like Charleston was going to be under like ten feet of water by the end of the week. <laughs> and it's just, oh my gosh, people, what we have to deal with these days with social media. <laughs> that was a triple threat. It was, it was all three systems were going to nail the coast, and, and you know we were all going to die. I mean, it was just horrible. <laughs> yeah, you're such a brave man for sticking it out. Man, I take one for the team every time. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Well, next week we're going to have uh, Eric Blake on from the National... Well, let me say this. Tentatively, we'll have Eric Blake on from the National Hurricane Center. He's going to uh, talk to us about uh, aircraft recon. I know Gary may be interested in this. Uh, he's going to actually talk to us about what the hurricane hunters do and how they actually investigate uh, invest systems and tropical uh, storms and hurricanes. So uh, Eric will be on to talk to us a little bit about that next week. Hey, man, that's actually cool. I actually went on a hurricane hunter flight in the middle of the Gulf in February one year. We didn't find any hurricanes. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> now, if you'd have went, if you'd have went this past January over uh, over on that side of the Atlantic, you may have found one. Well, that's true. That's true. <laughs> uh, but hey, Gary, you're more than welcome to join us next week. Talk to us about your experience flying and whatnot. Should be a, a good show. Uh, tentatively, if uh, if the weather cooperates. So imagine that hurricanes. Talking about hurricanes in the hurricane season, and we may not have a show about it. So, <laughs> anyways, uh, thanks for uh, joining us tonight. We do, uh, in all seriousness, uh, pay attention to the weather this weekend. Uh, no matter if you live on the Gulf Coast or the Atlantic Coast, um, make sure that you're following your uh, trusted meteorologist on TV as well on uh, their social media accounts and. Uh, We'll continue to update. I know Shay's doing some hard work. So, Shay, promote your Twitter. Uh, I know we don't ever do this, but promote your Twitter because you're all the time blogging about the tropics. So 
I think it would be a good good thing for you to kind of let everyone know how to follow you because you are up on uh, on everything and, and give very detailed updates and up to the minute detail updates because I know at eight o'clock this morning you were showing a wind gust uh, down in the Caribbean of uh, what was this forty five mile per hour gust from mm -hmm. uh, your weather flow uh, stations down there. Yeah, I think it was uh, seven eighteen a.m. We get we get archived data and um, we we include all the public domain stations in our products, so we get. Yeah, we get that information um, in a timely manner, five-minute updates from our own stations around the United States. But my Twitter handle is at WeatherflowChas, that's uh, C-H-A-S at the end. Uh, Weatherflow is the company. You can find us at www.weatherflow.com. Uh, you can also use windalert.com for an output to see the stations that we have and, and what we have going on. Also on Facebook, I run the Chucktown Wind Report for the Charleston area, but that really serves more than just the Charleston area. It's kind of expanded to include... Uh, a little bit of Myrtle Beach, uh, also down into Savannah and Tybee Island. So kind of a kind of a coastal South Carolina community of, of uh, wind and water sports enthusiasts there, and weather weather enthusiasts, pilots, you name it, anyone who who likes weather is in that group uh, from this area. And then also I uh, have Shea Gibson Weatherflow as a Facebook page. I tried to keep my profile a little bit out of the loop on that, but. Um, the, the Shea Gibson Weatherflow actual page itself is another outlet that I put some of that information on. So I try to share it around uh, around the community uh, in the best way possible and get it out there. But, uh, yeah, come on, check it out. And if I'm not mistaken, you just completed a video before the show tonight, right? I did. I did. Uh, actually, your YouTube channel. Uh, let me see. <laughs> if I can you pull it up right now. Uh, if you just <laughs> type my name in. Shay Gibson uh, on YouTube, you'll be able to find there's a little hurricane icon on there, and then I have uh, about, I don't know, 130 videos that I've made over the last couple of years or so. Uh, anything from sea breezes to tropical updates to um, hurricane in Hawaii or whatever you name it. Um, I try to try to do a lot of work around the area and, and cover some things that are fairly interesting. So, All right, guys. Well, everyone, thanks for, for joining us tonight. And again, stay up to date with your... Uh, your local meteorologist uh, to make sure you get the latest information. And Daniel, uh, our thoughts are with you guys. Uh, hopefully you'll, you'll continue to recover and hopefully uh, this invest will, will stay away from Louisiana and you guys can dry out a little bit. Thanks. Yeah, we need it. I think we're a shower away from becoming part of the Gulf of Mexico. So <laughs> we'll keep, keep it out of the area. All right, guys. Well, uh, thanks for watching tonight. Have a great uh, weekend and we'll see you next week.